My dear listeners, I hope today is going amazing for you. Join me on my podcast as I share stories of people just like you who made bold decisions in their lives and in turn, they live their dreams. As they say, it's up to you to make it happen. This show is sponsored by BioMental, all natural nutritional supplements for your daily needs. Always stay healthy, strong and focused, and the rest will follow. To learn more, go to biomental.org. Hello everyone, today we're meeting Dr. Eddie O'Connor. He is a speaker, a clinical and sports psychologist also mental performance consultant. Hello, Dr. Eddie. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, Anna. It's great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start a conversation by diving into your journey of becoming the person you are today. What led you to discover your true passion in life? How did it start for you? Um, I'll take you all the way back to elementary school, like even the the bullies in the Bronx, uh, you know, you said again, you're in New York City. So I grew up there and, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of fighting that goes on. And, uh, but even the bullies, when they had trouble would come to me and I would talk them, you know, and then we'd fight the following week. I would talk, but I would talk with them. So I always had this connection of just being able to relate and talk to people. Went to high school and as soon as I went to college, knew I wanted to be a psychologist, but it was the, I was a runner also. And I had my own mental blocks. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I couldn't, I was, it was so important to me to achieve and to win that I ended up getting a block where I, I couldn't give full effort and I would come across the finish line, not tired. And I discovered not until I went to graduate school later on that, that it was this fear of failure that was holding me back unconsciously. So as I went through my athletic career, um, the last class I took in college was sports psychology. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's this? And once I found out what it was, I was like, oh my gosh, like I could have used this for the last eight years, right? Because now my career is over. And I immediately knew I wanted to dedicate myself to helping people overcome the barriers that were holding them back. That not only was I interested in excellence and in winning and, and mental toughness, but I was also understanding that athletes and other high performers, whether they be musicians, artists, mm-hmm. that they're people too, and that they've got the same fears and doubts and lack of confidence that's maybe holding them back from being their best selves. And so that was the moment that I was like, okay, like there's another way to do it. And I'm glad that I have, because I do see that in in my field, there's so much focus on positive thinking and being confident. And we all know that all that pop psychology stuff, and it works when you can do it, but I'm really passionate about when it doesn't work because I have found that, that that's really the path to excellence is how do you overcome the obstacles that as we'll probably talk about later today actually should be there and have a good purpose. Mm-hmm. but it's not what people are really talking about. Wow, definitely. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. How can I make myself uh, to the best that I can? And what exactly would hold anybody back from achieving those results? So I know you mentioned fear of failure that you encountered in your own journey um, when you were running. And I think that's number one, kind of like a hard stop for people when they really imagine this negative scenario in their mind, how, you know, it's only going to end in me failing once I start, but also them not believing in their own ability and skills that they can. So what did you encounter in your own professional career as a consultant when you were coaching uh, high performance? Uh, like, what would you mention top three, I would say, blocks that people have? And maybe there is a tool that you can share that will help people um, look at it from a different perspective. Sure. So a number of questions in there. Let me, you say, well, what are the top three things? I would say things like imposter syndrome, you know, where no matter how successful somebody is, they always feel like they're faking it or that they're going to be discovered. Um, 
perfectionism is really another big block that I see in a lot of my, again, high achievers. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe the third one would be sort of like this, this group of, it's another variation of anxiety, but just whatever the typical doubt is, the doubt, the fear. Sometimes it's a fear of success, you know, fear of failure. You know, there's always some reason about like what we're afraid of. Yeah. The biggest thing that I'd love the audience to know is that I don't think that those are problems because I want to ask you, have you ever had a time in your life where that doesn't show up? Well, maybe that's not a fair question. I mean, I hope there are moments where you're not anxious, mm -hmm. but do you ever know somebody that hasn't had moments of anxiety? You know, we, we pathologize anxiety. Like if you're anxious, you need to calm down. Mm -hmm. In fact, we pathologize other things. If you're sad, where somebody always tells me to cheer up. If I'm angry, they tell me to, you know, to quiet down and get control and calm down. It's like, we want to live in only happiness. And of course, that's a great desire and I understand that, but there are only four basic human emotions, happy, sad, mad, and scared. And the biggest overall problem is that when athletes, high performers, exercisers, businessmen, and women, when they feel like they can only live in that 25% of what it means to be human, I have to be happy. Otherwise something's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, God created us with this whole array of emotions. Everybody's life is a constant churning of these four big emotions. We've got a lot more emotions, but they all come out of these four basic ones. 75% of what it means to be human means to be have moments of being angry or scared or sad because it's appropriate for what's going on in our lives. So the key to excellence is learning how to interact with those emotions and work actively through them, not by trying to change them because that's the distraction. Mm -hmm. If I'm fighting with my anxiety, I can't deliver that speech in the boardroom. If, if I'm trying to be happy and put on a happy face and I struggle to do that, I can't be present with the person in front of me and listen to what they're saying. I can't fight my emotions and act in a performance enhancing way at the same time. I can't do two things at once. What I've found, particularly later in my career, the more that I've done this is when my clients are able to give up that struggle to control yeah. and really attach to what's important to them, whether it's winning that race nailing that meeting, being present for their child in that conversation, sticking to that exercise program, when it's really important to them and they say, I'll do that with my fear, with the doubt, but I don't have to interact with it and listen to it because it's just, I could go into a lot of more lessons, but ultimately we worry about what we care about. Most of our anxiety is because we care. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily because something bad's gonna happen. So if you're worrying, you know what? You wanted a strategy. Let me give you this one. This is one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. So this will make it a little bit more practical because I feel like I'm getting ahead and, and, and dumping too much. <clears throat> uh, I'll ask you, we'll, we'll do this. We'll do this personally, Anna. Um, how many fire alarms have you heard in your life? Let's say 10. 10. How many times have there been a fire in those fire alarms? None. None. Good. 10. That's amazing because I know when I went to school, we'd have it two or three times a year. Then at my job at the hospital for a while, we would do, you know, these drills. So I don't, I've probably heard 50, 60, hundred fire alarms and thank God for me too. I've never been involved in a fire. On the flip side, if anytime I've seen a fire, and I remember I was a kid in the Bronx and this whole building was burning. Mm -hmm. I heard fire alarms, fire alarms are going off. So anytime I've seen a fire, fire alarms have been with it. We see that on the news. But in my life, anytime I've heard a fire alarm, there's never been a fire. So does that mean that I should just ignore fire alarms? No. No. Yeah. You look anxious just being like, <laughs> no, no. Right. So if a fire alarm went off right now in, in your office or in mine, and I just said, oh, you know what? It's probably nothing between you and me. We've got 110 false alarms. This, this podcast is important. Don't worry about the fire alarm. Let's just keep going. How would you feel? Yeah, you would still think something will happen. So you have to take action. <laughs> Perfect. Absolutely right. It would be ridiculous to ignore that fire alarm. And this podcast would go terrible. We wouldn't be able to concentrate on what we were doing. We couldn't listen to your questions or answers because I'd be really thinking about, am I safe or not? Mm -hmm. So you're right. What we have to do is we have to lean into the fire alarm. If you're, if you're following 
that's a metaphor for your anxiety. It's what your head's warning you about because it's its job. Your mind's job, quite literally, is to warn you of danger. Mm-hmm. Our job is never to ignore it or calm ourselves down or, or, or reassure ourselves about why it's not true. If I were going to sit here and be like, look, I'm trying to convince you over and over again that the fire alarm, it, it probably means nothing. You would never be reassured because it could always mean something. And this is why I say if you're anxious about failing, if you're anxious about you know, not being able to do things, of course, that those are realistic things. If, you, if you're anxious about you know, failing a test, it's because it's real. If you're anxious about you know, asking somebody out, they could say no. Like, like, of course, we're anxious about these things. Don't try to reassure yourself. Don't argue. Lean into it. And then say, like you said, take action. Mm-hmm. Well, what is this alarm telling me? Well, if the alarm is going off because I'm burning bacon on the stove, it's not a fire, but I better take care of the bacon. If the alarm is going off because it's a drill, well, then let me do the drill. If the alarm is going off because there's a fire, then let me get the heck out of here. Mm-hmm. You lean into your anxiety and you listen to what the alarm is saying. And then you respond to the reality of what's going on, not just the alarm that keeps going off. Now, here's the bad news. That doesn't shut off the alarm. Well, what am I supposed to do then? I have to get rid of my anxiety. Well, no. And turn down the volume here for a minute because if the alarm's going off in my background and I know it's safe and it's just annoying, what I have to do is lean into this podcast and really focus and dedicate my attention to you and talk louder. And I can do that even though I hate the alarm going off and even though it's annoying, but I can just let it be in the background because you're what's most important. I wish I had a better answer for you. Like, I wish I could make these things go away, but the reality is that's the way life is. So in summary, if you can relate to your anxiety, your anxious thoughts, your worries, your fears, as if they're a fire alarm that most of the time is just warning you that this could be a thing, lean into it and don't, don't fight with it. Don't make it the priority and say, what's it telling me to do? Take that action so that you can enhance your life and let the alarm rattle in the background. Yes, I like this metaphor. And I think um, a lot of people confuse usually those alarms or just signs that they receive from feeling unpleasant emotions as if, you know, they need to do something about it to shut it off or suppress it or make it go away. But rather, if we learn to look at it as an indicator or, you know, maybe readjusting something in our life, just a signal to show us something that is happening, but we don't have to go crazy about it. Like you said, just lean into it, learn from it, and you know now you get that information and you can do something about it and it will never go away but each time you handle it with care it will become mild like it wouldn't be screaming so much in the background and now you know how to deal with it each time it arises because it would never go away and for you to pretend that it will happen it's not true right yeah, Anna, you're, you're doing a wonderful job of really illustrating a couple of big points. First, that you know, we want to have compassion for those out there that are struggling with anxiety. Like this is a heck of a lot easier said than done. Yeah, This is not a strategy to make you feel better. And we really have to start off and respect that, you know, how do we develop the willingness to actually feel bad? Like that's what the ask is. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole fire alarm thing and interacting with it and doing something about it it's with the big assumption that you're going to be bringing that uncomfortable feeling along with you. And I realize for those that are listening that sometimes that could be disabling. And so like in my success stories community, this is where we develop these skills. We practice it. And there's other strategies that you can do to, to supplement your, your mental toughness and and to develop these skills. And, And that's what you were talking about, Anna, is the idea that this has to be practiced. And each time you do it, you know, it may not be successful the first time. It, you may still fail. You, you, But if you practice it, yeah. like most things in life, it's a skill that can be developed. So I'm asking those out there to give, them, to give yourself a little bit of time and permission to kind of dink around with it. Mm-hmm. And over time, you will find that it becomes much more powerful. So this isn't a quick fix. It can be for some. But for most, 
It's a new framework to interact differently with it. And again, you said to practice. And the one thing I do want to maybe correct is that that doesn't mean, again, that what you're afraid of isn't going to happen. It still might. If you're an athlete and you're worried about losing, I'm going to guess that most of you are going to lose at some point. Yeah. If you're, you know, you might not get a perfect grade on the test. You might not have the outcome that you want. Failure is a part of life. And I don't want to just be cliche about it. But if we're fighting that reality, we're at a disadvantage. The, the, the greatest winners here, I don't want to say they're okay with failing. They're not. They don't like it. But mm. they understand that it's a part. And they learn from their failure. Every failure you have is telling you that something didn't go the way that it needed to. And if you really care about excellence, if you really care about getting it right, you will take that opportunity to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Again, difficult to do. That's why in the Success Stories community, we're, we're supporting each other to do that and teach those skills. But listeners, this is the track. This is the way excellence is done. It's not comfortable. <laughs> Definitely. And I always look at failures as really like part of the process is the way to success. You have to go through that. You have to learn, you have to try. And without you even giving yourself a chance, how do you know if you're gonna win or not, right? And also uh, I could relate myself to being a perfectionist uh, and now I'm getting better at it, but like a lot of people struggle with that. You know, they see this perfect picture name how it's supposed to go you know with them understanding the process but it's not usually the reality and they in fact procrastinating by taking any action or any steps at all to avoid feeling that uh failure all those unpleasant emotions that will come up with that because they know they will encounter that on the way but this is just their like protective mechanism from even experiencing that. So what would you think will help those who consider themselves perfectionists to start looking at this process differently and giving themselves a chance to try and see how they can succeed along the way? Yeah, Anna, you, you actually answered it in the way you were saying it. Like, what a wonderful summary of perfectionism. It does sound like you know something about it. <laughs> yeah. And you really hit it well when you had said about how uncomfortable it is and, and how really as perfectionists, we, I'm a recovering perfectionist myself, are hurt so much by our mistakes. Like, we we care so much about this perfection. And the emotional difficulty when we fall short of that. It really hurts. Mm-hmm. And I would never tell my perfectionist to just be okay with that. Like I will never tell a perfectionist it's okay to make a mistake. I think that's when perfectionists hear that, it just pisses us off, right? Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, yeah. I can't even talk to you if you're going to tell me that, you know, oh, it's just a game or everybody makes mistakes. Like you don't understand what's going on. I don't, mm. even though I do, but I find it intolerant. So to the perfectionists out there, I agree with you. Mistakes are not okay. People get hurt when we make mistakes. We lose money when we make mistakes. We fail, whether it be a game or a grade, when we make mistakes. It's why since kindergarten, when we make mistakes, teachers are writing red marks all over our papers and parents are yelling at us and coaches are yelling at us and boyfriends and girlfriends are breaking up with us because we make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Our mistakes for our entire life have been punished. Don't come to me and tell me that mistakes are okay. It's a great philosophy, but they're not. So with that reality and with that, you know, I disappointed my teammates or I, I didn't get what I wanted because I made a mistake. We still have to, have to, have to deal with the reality. How does success happen? That mistake is the only way people learn. Nobody who's ever been successful in their life has done it without mistakes. And I'm not using this as a motivational phrase. I'm saying that this is a formula. Let's look at this as scientists. Let's look at this as people who want to be perfect. How do I become perfect? I change the relationship with my mistake. And I learn from every single one of them. I I humble myself. I admit the mistake fully. Not for any character reason. 
although those are good characteristics, but because they, they're going to be effective and say, what do I need to do differently? I own my mistake. The exact opposite of what we tend to do as perfectionists, blame other people, blame other situations, come up with things to protect ourselves. You know, that's why we do it as perfectionists. I can't handle the mistake because I'm a perfectionist. So I, I push away the responsibility or I'll just do better next time. Oh, that's the biggest mistake of all. Mm. Now we're losing the opportunity to course correct. I don't know about you, but I'd be a billion times better than I am if I learned from every mistake in my life since I was born. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't learn from a lot of them. I repeated them for many, many times. But as we learn and develop this, you change your relationship with mistakes. You can still hate them. Mm. And at the same time, respect that they have something to offer you. Humble yourself, lean into it, make the correction, and then go out there and do it again with a willingness to make a mistake, but not a focus on it. This goes back to the idea that you can be willing to do this stuff, but again, like the fire alarm, let the perfectionism be in the background because if you're worried about making a mistake, like I'm gonna do this quick test for everybody, five seconds, whatever, just don't think about pink elephants, go. That's all I think about. <laughs> That's all we all think about because the more we don't want something, yeah. the more we have it. It's called the ironic response of the brain, little psychology science in there. Mm -hmm. So the more, don't want to make a mistake guess what we're doing we're thinking about mistakes and making them because that's what we're focused on so you let that be some of that background noise that background fire fire alarm knowing that it's a part of the process and you'll learn from it but zeroing in on my favorite focus strategy if you want to win you focus on what's important now w-i-n mm. so as a perfectionist in whatever situation you're at what's important now and there will be one thing that's essential to your performance. If you're a surgeon, it's going to be that scalpel and, and cutting millimeter by millimeter. Yes. If you're you know, at baseball and you're, you're waiting for a pitch, it's that pitch in that moment and how it's coming out of the pitcher's hand. If it's, you know, you're on a diet, it's that meal that you're preparing right now, counting your macros, doing your portion sizes, you know, keeping the cookies in, you know, in the garbage. I can't have them in the house. Like you just got to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> There's what's important now. There, there's something that you could do. The person right in front of you that you want to listen to and get out of your head and into the moment. That's one of the best strategies that if you can really practice as well, I guess that'd be the third, you know, <laughs> quick summary. There's the fire alarm, <laughs> there's perfectionism, accepting mistakes. And then there's the focus of what's important now. Yes. And I like this acronym for win, which is what is important now. And also, you just mentioned that in order to like shift your focus, you have to become present with what is important. And that is another struggle for people to be mindful, to be present here and now in this moment and not being in the negative thinking pattern loop, which is never ending. Like we have to find a way to kind of distracted and disrupted and become present, not being in the past, not being in the future, but to come here where the power is, right? So what are the practices to, I would say, improve our ability to be mindful and present? Yeah, wonderful. Fantastic question. And you're right. You're there are like six big categories of performance, you know, to really be excellent. And, and you've hit on two of them right here. Uh, the first one that you use the word mindfulness, mindfulness training, the ability to pay attention on purpose in the present moment without judgment is an incredible skill. It not only helps with mental and, and physical health, um, but for my athletes, it really teaches them the skill of focusing it also has an element of being able to unhook from all the dialogue and the, 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 the what if thinking and all the other questions and things in our head to be able to get out of the evaluations that we have inside psychologically and bring our attention onto the outside to what's important now, what's actually going on, the objective game or the conversation we're having or the project we're working on. It's a skill. And so mindfulness, it's a lot more than just sitting there and being like, oh, you know, that's not it at all. There's a, there's a lot of mental training. And inside the Success Stories membership, we've got a lot of exercises where that's actually part of it uh, as part of this comprehensive program to bring people's uh, performance up. One of the critical skills is being able to unhook from all of those you know, thoughts and feelings that are holding you back and being able to tune into the present moment. 
So mindfulness training, and there's lots of trainings that are involved. There's lots of ways that you can go about it. Um, absolutely huge, huge component of success. The other one is clarifying your values. You had mm -hmm. said, what's important to me? And you're right. A lot of the things that if we don't know why we're doing this, we're not going to go through all the crap that we have to. <laughs> like, why go through all this anxiety and all this pain and all this physical endurance or financial sacrifice or or distress? We have to know why. And again, let's get past the cliche of, oh, know your why. It's like, it's become cliche because it's so important. But it, you're right. It's, sometimes we forget it or we don't put it right in front of us. Again, inside the community, we've got these exercises where we really help clarify and a number of the, the members have said that that has been the biggest point to, to what you had said is that, gosh, here I am trying to do all this stuff because I feel like I should, or my parents wanted me to do this, or that's just the expectation or culture says that. But once I identified what's important in my life, I'll tell you this fantastic story. I was working with a guy who had terrible headaches, mm -hmm. terrible disabling headaches because of the stress in his life. And I was telling him, well, tell me about the stressors. And he was telling me about, you know, all these people at work and he had his own business and, and how that was just running them ragged. And his kids, they they, they had so many demands and, and mm -hmm. his wife, you know, was, you know, just a lot of family time that was demanding. He was just being pulled in all these directions, terrible headaches. We did this values exercise to help clarify what was important to him and found out that he was incredibly dedicated to his wife and kids as a family man. It was a core part of his identity. Mm -hmm. He loved his business. And, and one of the principles of his business was customer service. And he really, really valued being there, not only for his customers, but, but being a responsible owner and taking care of his, his employees. Yeah. And then the other part was the, the fitness and he got, you know, still well built. And that was one more thing that he was trying to kind of put into it. So we go through all of this and I'm like, well, it sounds like to me, you're complaining about all these things that you have to do that you really want to do. Mm -hmm. Like, the reason you're so stressed about your family is because you care about your family. The reason that you're doing so much with your kids is because you want to do this with your kids. The reason that you're spending so much time with your customers and your, your clients is because you want to take care of them. And I'll never forget his reaction. He sat back in his chair and he goes, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> his stress pretty much went away. His headaches dropped because all of a sudden these weren't stressors and problems. He understood that he was living his best life and all of this there was stressful still. There were still challenges, but now he had his why. And it wasn't something that was assigned to him. He just got clarity from it. Yeah. And, and it was wonderful to see in one, in one session, in one instance, how his life turned around, how his health got better. And he, he became more engaged with all the things that he, he, had, he was doing. So yeah, you were brilliant when you kind of brought up that idea of like, you got to know why. It can, it can be a game changer. Definitely, because a lot of times we find ourselves like working on autopilot, doing, you know, some activities day after day where we don't even know why we're doing them. And a lot of times you ask somebody, they can't even answer that question for themselves. But mm -hmm. the clarity and really, um, you know, kind of giving yourself this vision of what do you want? in your life where do you see yourself where are you headed so you have to have some kind of direction some kind of gps what do you want to build in your life and not just floating around but having a goal having a purpose you know you know what you're striving for and i think that's important for people to have that internal motivation to do something because nobody can make you do unless you have that desire. You have to have it like really strong in order to take an action, in order to make it a priority, make it important for you. Don't you agree? A hundred percent. I mean, you are so exactly right. You know, the big challenge as being a sports psychologist is sometimes people will come in and they want the quick fix so they can win or be better or be excellent. And, mm -hmm. and for many of them, this is the place where we have to start because it involves so much sacrifice and effort. You know, if you want to be in the top 1%, you can't do what 99% of the other people are doing. And everybody thinks they're working hard. Mm. And I would say that most people are working hard, but that's not enough. Are you working harder than everybody else when you're in a competitive situation? Are you working hard enough to get the goals that you want? Because the higher the goals the more the work is involved. And so the more adversity and the more failure, the longer it's going to take, 
Yeah. You don't tie it into a personal reason why those people always fall out. If they're doing it again, like I said, for their parents or just a scholarship or, you know, if they don't have a really big attachment, emotional attachment to their character, they can't get to the game's highest levels. Mm. There needs to be a purpose because it's only your purpose that's going to carry you through the adversity right. because it will be uncomfortable. And that's putting it mildly. Yeah. And I think we also have to become comfortable being uncomfortable because this is what life is. You know, it's kind of like everybody likes being comfortable and not getting out of their comfort zone and staying there, but there is no growth. You have to kind of like embrace the unknown and try something new you never tried before. With you changing the way you used to do things, this is how you grow, right? And you learn along the way. And also, um, I know like a lot of people struggle finding their passion in life. You know, they work nine to five and they find themselves like being unfulfilled, unsatisfied. But also at the same time, they don't really like create time or make time to do something that they love you know on a side or maybe like a hobby first and they always find excuses why you know they don't start that because of the work that i'm doing but this is not what you like doing so it's kind of like a loop that they're in and it's hard to break from that what do you think will um, you know, be important for those who still kind of like lost and finding their passion or, or their voice or something that, you know, the purpose in life, uh, what could help them to uh, recognize that or maybe connect to their true nature to really like start uh, bringing out the unique talents and gifts that they've been given in order to serve other people? Yeah, big, so big question and probably very different for everybody. Um, again, in the success stories community, I'll say that it's that values exercise that has some structured ways. And here's the big point is that you have to take the time to actually get that clarity. You brought up about how fast our lives can be. And I, uh, I think it's getting worse or I'm just at least feeling more affected by it too, where there's so much rapid information being put out there just if you're just even going to be on the internet mm -hmm. or social media and all the things that we have to do especially you know the finish the holidays here and it's one thing after the other yeah. and it's real easy to say hey everybody's got to just kind of slow down but when you slow down what if you take time to actually explore so a number of clients some of them just like to journal mm -hmm. and sitting down and carving out 10, 15 minutes a day, knowing that this is an investment in your performance, right? It's not, don't take it as the negative. A lot of people are like, well, I don't have time for that. I got to slow down. I got to keep going. It's like, mm. listen to what your head is saying. Like that's the actual thought that's preventing you is that clarity can clear away so many barriers. So if you're confused and you don't have a purpose, kind of sit down and, and give yourself time to ponder it, to think, to notice what shows up instead of actively thinking. Yeah. And I think if you understand what I'm saying here, there, there's a difference between us maybe kind of sitting with a question and then watching what our head comes up with. Sometimes we can hear our heart speak, mm -hmm. but we have to create that silence. Going back to what we had said earlier about the training for mindfulness. This is a helpful way of, of learning how to quiet the mind. Mm -hmm. Never making it shut up because it always talks, <laughs> but rather training our brain to be able to listen to what's inside. Because I promise each of you, your, your purpose is in there. And I trust that you don't know what it is. And I also trust that the world has been so loud and other people have given you so many opinions that it might be covered up. Mm -hmm. So whether it be you know inside the community, whether you have a, a coach or your own psychologist or, or even a good friend or somebody you can team up with and just be accountability and say, let's journal every day and just write whatever is on our mind and see what happens. I know anytime I've done that, I've been surprised about what I've written. Sometimes I've written like 10 pages in a rant and then all of a sudden I come at the end and all those details that were racing around in my head are quiet and I'm left with a nugget. Mm. You will never get there without dedicating yourself some time to that process. 
So I don't have an exact right answer about what to do, whether it's talk to a psychologist, join the membership, journal, meditate, but something. Sitting and thinking and worrying about it and drilling and racing, you know, just ask yourself, has that worked up to this point? And if it hasn't, be willing to do something different. Yes, definitely. And I think um, I've heard this expression that we need to slow down in order to speed up. Yeah, so I like that. It's very like profound because we always think when we slow down and give ourselves time for reflection, journaling, or just, um, I don't know, talking to the coach, but really like working on ourselves and what's going on in our mind that we feel like we're doing nothing or we're lazy or we're missing on something, right? But in fact, that's the most important thing that you can do to get that clarity, to get those messages. And with that information, you're going to have the more inspired action to proceed with other than just doing you know, something random pretty much. So in fact, you're doing the the you know you're helping yourself become more efficient and what you're gonna do next that's, that's very important to slow down and see what is it that you're gonna do next and that's exactly how you speed it up so it takes that cliche of slow down to speed up it's like what the heck does that mean <laughs> well when you slow down you're you're chopping off and you're pruning all the things that you've been chasing that aren't going to get you a result it's just busy work and if you feel productive, which is why we keep doing it, I feel busy, so I must be making progress. But you're going here, 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 and here, and it's not directed. So when you slow down and get that clarity, and then the behavioral choices that you make after that all lead you in one direction, you're exponentially going faster towards your goal with that efficiency that you were talking about. You know, if I could, there's one more thing that I would add that mm -hmm. I'm going to guess our perfectionists, um, our high achievers are probably really lacking, and that's sleep. Yeah. Sleep is by far the number one performance enhancer and probably the most underutilized attribute or skill or or action that we could take. Mm -hmm. Sleep is so important. Every organ in your body, every process in your body is impacted by sleep, whether you're getting enough of it or, or not enough. Is everything is enhanced by the more sleep that you get. So even if you're getting your seven hours as a minimum, mm -hmm. there's performance enhancing effects in sport and in life and creativity and skill development and learning when you get eight, then when you get nine. I, I've spoken with Olympians who mm -hmm. then start to go get 10 or 11 because it's that level of commitment and dedication and recovery that bring their bodies and their minds up to the next level. So we are in a culture that looks at sleep and like you're really rewarded if you know, you're grinding and you're the first person in the office and the last one to leave. And you get compliments about getting those four hours and grinding. And in the short term, you might have to do that once in a while. But over the long haul, that will hold you back. I'm talking about Olympic champions, professional champions, the highest people at the highest levels in every area of performance. They will all tell you as well as the biological science, that sleep is your number one performance enhancer. And so if you're one of those people getting five, six hours of sleep, mm -hmm. I'd start there. Find a way to get yourself to bed earlier, have a good quality night's sleep, and really dedicate time to your sleep hygiene and your, your sleep quality and your sleep duration. And I promise you'll have performance enhancing effects. And quick story, athlete who came in, and mm -hmm. this is a rule I have with all my athletes. I had this football player coming in and uh, he had anxiety and just some depression. He was rehabbing from an injury and dude was getting five hours. And he was like, I don't have time. I'm in college. I got this, I got that. And I understood. I mean, it was, it was hard for him to get back. But I told him, I was like, I'm not going to treat you. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to address anything until you get sleep because there's nothing I could do. And there's no skill. Like he's not going to be able to do that fire alarm metaphor. He's not going to have the ability for his mind to have the strength to be able to sit down and do mindfulness exercises when it just can't because there's not enough energy in his body because he's not sleeping. Mm -hmm. Long story short, worked together a couple of weeks, got him to you know commit to sleep pretty quickly, started getting like seven, eight hours, and literally 50% of his symptoms went away. 
without me doing anything other than telling him to sleep more. A 50% improvement in all of his symptoms. Mm. And then everything else was easier after that to build on it. But it was an absolute foundation. And I, I, I promise the same results for you. Wow, yeah, it's very um, undervalued, uh, like you said, aspect of our life sleeping because we, again, like same with slowing down, people think, okay, so if I sleep two hours more, I will waste this time. Maybe I should be more productive, wake up early and start doing this work. But again, the foundation of how to become more productive is a good quality of sleep it's like it's all backwards the way we look at it and like you said it's because it's promoted so much in our society to be that person that never sleeps but working you know and that's how we kind of look at it and we think it's how it should be but again with us really questioning with what is that we're receiving all those messages from like social media we have to always question is it really true and how we know it's true is the way we feel also on a daily basis do we see the effects of it on in our own life how do we feel and uh thank you for mentioning that because i think this is something everybody can do and it's just that simple switch or change in our daily routine, it could maybe eliminate 50% of the symptoms that people are having and they don't know why. Yeah. You know, and I had to learn it myself. Like my, my dad was an immigrant from Ireland and he, he worked 80 hours a week for 40 plus years. Mm. And honestly, that's what killed him. He died when he was 69. Um, he was unfortunately two months away from retiring. Um, and he had a lot of health issues. But, you know, upon looking at the science, I saw that it was like because he dedicated himself to so much work that it, it ended up shortening it. Mm. And you brought up another point, too, which I think is really a really good one. Your head is going to argue with me when I say that you should go sleep or I've got this tip and and everybody's head does because we, we don't want to take it personally or it's going to be hard. Or, you know, again, you're, you're, our minds are built to kind of nag at us this way and to, to doubt and to argue and to it's just what happens. So I encourage everybody that if you're liking what you're hearing on this podcast or any of the others, if there's something that you want to do in your life, be open to it and test it for yourself. You don't have to believe a thing that I'm saying. I know I'm right, but you don't know. <laughs> and, that's, and that's fair. And I don't I don't expect you to just take what Dr. Eddie said and then like, well, now I have to do this. No, by, by all means, I, I see that you're an individual in front of me. You have your own life, your own values, the other things that are important to you. And so I offer these as suggestions, as, as very good suggestions, but ones where give it a month mm -hmm. and Ask this, this is going to be the most important question of everything that I said here today. If you start to relate to the, the internal feelings that you have, to the thoughts that you have, and you, you jump outside and you say, is this helping me or hurting me? Mm. It's going to be the most powerful question in your life. When I'm thinking that, oh man, all this extra sleep, I don't need it. That's stupid. Is that thought helping me or hurting me? And be honest and be like, well, you know, I'm I'm getting seven hours of sleep and I'm making a million dollars and I'm, my, my relationships are perfect and my health is great. I don't need any more. Okay, mm -hmm. then keep going. You're, you're crushing it. <laughs> but if you're like, well, I'm really tired and I'm, you know, not doing my best. I haven't been promoted in a couple of months. My health is bad. I'm overweight. I, I can't play with my kids and I don't think this sleep is going to work. Well, Maybe that thought isn't helping you. Maybe you might just notice that your mind's resisting it for some reason. Let it be in the background and try it. And then after a month, it's either going to help you or it won't. And then you can move on. So I give you permission to, in fact, encourage you to, to just open up and try these things, knowing that you don't have to do this the rest of your life. If it doesn't work, like when people are trying to quit smoking, for example, sometimes I work with them. And I'm like, look, you don't have to quit it forever. And they're like, well, then why the heck am I here? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me you're coming here. I'm not going to tell you that you have to quit. 
Yeah. And it's so funny how the argument goes, right? When I give them permission to smoke, they get mad at me because <laughs> they're trying to quit. And I'm like, well, then you make the decision. And I was like, you know what? And if you quit in a month and you want to go back smoking again, you can do that. Yeah. And what's amazing is that it relieves so much pressure. Like they're like, oh my God, I've got to quit this thing and I can never do it again. And it becomes so restrictive that they never want to give it up. But I'm like, quit for two weeks. And if it's, if you don't feel healthier, if you can't breathe better, if you're not exercising better in a month, go back to smoking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. you never thought of it that way, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think it works uh, so much better other than telling, you know, that person that, okay, so those are the benefits of you if you like, if you're going to quit smoking, for example, because sometimes, you know, it's hard for them to listen, even though they know it's good for them. You presented all of those benefits that they will gain because of that action but something's going on in their mind where like this resistance what if i'm gonna give it up and never do it again but once you give them permission like you don't have to quit forever just try give yourself a chance to see how you're gonna feel and then you decide if you want to come back to it or not so you are responsible you make the decision nobody is doing it for you we're not forcing you to do that yeah and that's the key to motivation like a lot of the times when we're not motivated it's because we're losing what we call autonomy it's no longer my choice i don't like to do when other people tell me to do things like I'll never forget, I was I was gonna go wash the dishes and somebody comes in and he says, Hey, we wash the dishes. And I'm like, now I didn't want to do it anymore. I was doing it because I was gonna, you know, be helpful. But now that you're telling me to do it, I don't want to do it. Right. And if you can really kind of see if you're feeling forced to lose weight, to get an exercise program, to do that project at work, you know, you're right. If it's coming from external forces, it, it's a human thing. Don't feel bad about mm -hmm. it. We just don't like none of us like to be told what to do. Yeah. Why do you want to do it? And, and you might find that you don't. And, and here's another, maybe I don't know if this is a great story, but early in my career, I was on internship. Mm. Um, I had gotten a, a veteran who'd come in who wanted to quit smoking and he had failed like three different group projects. So he needed the intensive one-on-ones to do it because he just kept failing. So I'm trying to teach him relaxation exercises and this and that, and he's not doing the homework. And I'm like, why are you here? And he looks at me, he goes, doc, I don't want to be here. I'm like, what? What? He goes, my wife wants me to quit. My daughter wants me to quit. I like smoking. And I'm like, well, you realize that you, know, you could get cancer and you could do this. And I go through the whole thing. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know all of that, but it's my stress management. Well, you know that there's other ways to manage it. Yeah, I know, but I like to smoke. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, okay, you don't have to come back. He goes, what? I was like, look, it's your choice. If you know the health risks. Yes. And I give my obligation to let you know this is you know, this isn't the greatest choice. Like this is the health thing. I'm like, it's not illegal. You're not, you're not doing anything else, but you do get to pick how you live your life. And so a week later, I'm walking down the outside the building. He's out in front with his buddy smoking. He said, Hey doc. And it was successful because you know what I did is that I reduced mm -hmm. his anxiety. Yeah. It was this thing for years where he felt like he wasn't good enough and he was disappointing his family. And he felt guilty every time he smoked, which just increased his stress, which had him smoke more. Mm. and what we said was like look you get to pick and so he chose and embraced his smoking habit and, and i wish i had a better story and say how i got him to quit but the reality is is i looked at his happiness in front and i saw a happier man in front of me mm. and at least for the time there i think that was the win you get to choose how you live your life not everybody's going to be the best at everything not everybody's going to win that mm. may not even be what is important to you but if it is important to you, please let me hear that it is important to you. And, and like Anna was saying, you get to choose, try things out because you want to do it. And you will find a tremendous amount of, of power and motivation and focus when you get it attached to your purpose. Yes. And that's why you need the clarity. Again, Anna, as you were saying earlier, without that clarity, you can see why you go in all these other directions. But but for this guy, the clarity of just being able to admit and somebody listening that he didn't want to be there was a big life change. Right. And we need to speak up of what is important to us. You know, our voice, it matters. And we suppress it and not letting ourselves to be heard. And it takes sometimes one person to hear you out. But that reflects back to you what 
do you need to know about yourself really and yeah. and that gives you a more clear perspective of again what is that is important for you your purpose and uh, I'm so glad that we had that conversation. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and wisdom. And for those who would like to connect with you online, how can they find you? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, it's uh, DrEddieOConnor.com. I have uh, tons of resources for you on, on my website there. Um, I've got a, a free Mental Toughness in 60 Seconds on, on YouTube that you can get the link to. Um, I offer one-on-one -on -one consults if you're looking for help, but I really want to talk about the success stories community. It's a, a new project that I've done because I, I couldn't reach enough people one-on-one, -on -one, but I wanted all my teachings and exercises available uh, to you so that, again, you can develop those skills necessary to move in the direction that you want to go and overcome those obstacles that get in the way. So there's training on uh, sleep and, and clarifying values and mindfulness training, the willingness to go interact with your thoughts and feelings differently so that you can overcome them and move in that positive direction. And you get to do it with other people in a similar place that you are. We've got team meetings. It's just a, a wonderful community. It's gonna be my life's work uh, for the next uh, few years, if not forever. I'm really excited about it. And I would love for you to check it out and, and, and join us in there um, so that I can help you live the life that you wanna live to the best of your ability. Um, I'm here for you. Love to see you inside. Thank you. And as we close today, what would be the thought for our listeners? A closing thought. Um, boy, I'm watching my head race now. You know, I think based on what we had talked about, what I'm feeling is that I want to normalize your struggle. We all struggle and we all hate it and we all have these hard times. And the more we feel like we're broken or that we did something wrong or that it shouldn't be this way, it, it sets us off on the wrong path and it makes things even harder. So I, I guess the, the thought that I have is, is empathy for each person who's listening. And, and if you're in a great place, hold on to this because there's going to be a point where you're, you're down too. like nobody stays at the top. Yes. And so I encourage you to, to feel the compassion in this podcast from Anna and myself, but also to, to give yourself some compassion as well. Like to take it, I don't want to say take it easy on yourself. Like sometimes we need to kick our butts and, and like get going. But I mean, at the same time is to, to understand that, you know, life is hard. And if you're struggling, yeah, you, you have to, and there's nothing wrong with you because you're doing it that that I believe in you and, and I hope we've given you some tools that can help you strengthen and persevere because if you can just keep going there's there's something better on the other side and again we're here to support you in that thank you so much I hope you enjoy your day thank you it's been wonderful uh best wishes to everybody I really appreciate you Anna thank you for listening to my podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did follow my show and leave me a review i'd love to hear from you to check out intern store go to internpodcast.com stay tuned